Jason, so I one of the things that I, I'm trying to be a better Christian about is like whenever anybody asks me to pray for them, I need to just pray for them. And Alex Trebek has recently asked for prayer because he's just been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. I heard this, yeah. So I, we would be remiss if we didn't right now on the show pray for a man who has entertained us and taught us so much over the years. Oh, fellow Alex. Yep, absolutely. So I'm going to pray for him right now. Go for it. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you so much for uh, an opportunity for Jason and I to get together and podcast. We just want to come before you, Lord, and just lift up Alex Trebek. And God, I just pray that you would heal him and that you would help him fight this cancer off and that we can just have many more years with Alex Trebek and his just his wonderful uh, personality and uh, just his, his TV show Jeopardy has just taught us so many things. And frankly, they they have a lot of Bible Bible categories on there sometimes, and they're, they're not wrong. So thank you so much for just uh, his life, and we just pray that he knows you and that uh, whatever you, we would just pray that your will would be done. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just prayed for Alex Trebek, man. You did, man. I I love Jeopardy. So much. Like, some of my earliest memories are spending the night at my grandma's house and Wheel of Fortune. Yep. And yeah. Jeopardy, as I got the spiral graph out, listening to the police scanner in the North Edge Beach in Flint, Michigan. It's funny, like, so that's, that's my memories as well. My, I, so for a few years, I lived with my grandparents. And 7, 7 p.m., Wheel of Fortune. Yep. And then at 7.30, Jeopardy, which I always liked Jeopardy better because I suck at English. Yeah, the music's better. Yeah. Do, 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 do. yeah I can't do it justice. But anyway, uh, so let's get past that. We've prayed for Alex Trebek. Now let's move on to something... Not as important, but still extremely important. Patreon. Yeah. I fired our Patreon back up, and we already got a couple of supporters. So thank you, supporters, so much. So here's what's going on with our podcast is Alex and I are, we're going to retool this thing. We, we have a plan. A plan? A plan. We're excited about said plan, but we don't know how said plan is going to be received. <laughs> So we're, we're stepping out on faith. We're making a faith leap. And it's going to be awesome. Yeah. and I'm excited about it. The ideas we've already come up with, the music that Jason has selected. It's, it's going to be amazing. So we're, we're looking at May 1st. One may say that's going to be tubular. Yeah. <laughs> no hints, Alex. Okay. No hints. But we need your help. We need your support. We're going to launch this thing. We've been, we've been gifted some money by a man who shall be remained anonymous. Total transparency. He may have been attacked by Bigfoot. Uh, I don't want to give any more clues away. I mean, my dad doesn't really like it when I tell people <laughs> he's been attacked by Bigfoot. But he has. It happened. But we've received a... A generous donation, which is going to help us do some things, but to sustain those things, um, we need your support. We need your dollar dollar bills. And one of the things that you'll Stop get with that support, at the strip club. Yeah, don't do that. That's very sinful. 
Um, but some of those ladies are going through college, so yeah. maybe maybe give them a couple bucks. Yeah. Just... Isn't that such a gray area? Isn't it? It is. <laughs> what do we do? <sighs> there's some great ministries along. Like maybe we should get them on, like Triple X Church. Like there's some real ministries out there. <laughs> That I just kind of said it in jest, but then the more I think about it, I'm like, I mean, I've, I've never been to a strip club. Me neither. Never, ever have been. I have no desire to go there. And I don't support the work that they do. Yeah, we just don't want to demonize it. I we Yeah, exactly. We don't want to demonize it. And yes, some of them are trying to pay to go to school. People doing things. Exactly. Some people install furnaces. Other people take their clothes off for money. Yeah. We're just trying to get by. Anyway, I've where, derailed where the podcast. I? You derailed. I'm asking people for money, and that's where you go. <laughs> so if you support us on Patreon, one of the things that um, you'll get to do is, one, hear our interviews. Like this interview that we're doing today with Carrie Rawson, the daughter of the BTK serial killer. Oh, my gosh. This interview is so good. I, Carrie, thank you. Yes. The fact that Carrie is also from Michigan, too, makes it so much better. Yes. So much better. She's not from Michigan. She's not from, but she lives here, which is enough. But the full interview, which is our 45 minutes long, it's on our Patreon right now. Nice. And for a dollar a month, we're not asking a lot. That's what it's capped at. We're really looking for 100 subscribers. 100 people to give a dollar a month would be super awesome. Yes, it would be. That would help us out tremendously. Yeah. So, so, Jason, if I knew nothing about BTK when you first told me, like, hey, we're having the daughter of the BTK killer on, I was like, yeah, who's that? I don't know who anything about this. It's a little bit before my time. And um, you started telling me about this. Tell and everybody your age. I'm 29. All right. So you're, you're a couple years older than me. I'm f- 34. Yeah. So tell everybody just a just a brief synopsis of who BTK is. Well, BTK was the name he gave himself through the media is his name's Dennis Rader and he committed 10 murders and confessed to them. Uh BTK stands for bind torture kill. Mm. And I'm not sharing the details. We're not a crime podcast no we're not a true crime podcast and so for us to even try to tackle it would just it we just would do a really crappy job at it that's not what we're here for today we're here to talk to carrie and hear her story on faith and forgiveness and overcoming and holy crap is it jesus yeah jesus all the way and that's what i really liked about this podcast like we could have gone down the road that every other like because she's been on so many news outlets and she's been on Dr. Phil in 2020 and all these things. But I think we really got to, we, not your pastor's podcast, the yeah. best podcast ever <laughs> about two guys who couldn't make it as pastors. We really get down to the crux of the, uh, of the issue and we, we take everything back to Jesus. Yeah. And that's what I love about this interview. Like we could have gone a completely different route, but instead we were like, no, we have to, end with Jesus, because that's the most important thing. Yeah, so to give a little bit more detail, and really, honestly, you can look all this stuff up. It's everywhere. Wikipedia, to, uh, like Carrie says, I don't recommend doing a Google image search. 
of her father's don't name. Don't do it. Don't I haven't do it. done it. I haven't done it either. To. I'm not going to. Um, but I remember him in 91. Here's this guy. He commits this murder. I'm a little kid up here in Michigan, and I hear about this. And it's just one in the, this string of victims by this guy. And then nothing. All throughout the 90s, nothing. And then 2004 hits. And all of a sudden, here's, here's BTK. He's taunting the media. He's releasing evidence from his victims. He's putting dolls and things in suggestive positions and pictures and all this horrific stuff, really. But to kind of sum it, sum it all up, I'm just going to read a passage from Carrie's book. This is under a section called June 2005. She says, I've been fighting hard the past four months to not completely split apart, fighting to hold my tattered remains together. On the day of my father's plea hearing, the weight of what he had done, the enormity of it, crushed me once more. Dad had taunted and mocked the community of Wichita and the police with his BTK communications. But he also mocked my family's church and my grandparents, using their beloved places as cover for his crime scenes. Stalking, then breaking and entering, torturing and violently killing 10 people, almost killing an 11th person, desecrating their bodies. Part of a family, a father, a mother, two children, orphaning three children, terrorizing children in homes where their mothers were murdered. Daughters, sisters, wives, mothers, grandmothers, seven families were destroyed by my father, never to be the same again. Eight, his family, my family too, my family, not his, no longer his, no longer his. Holy wah. This is a story and a half. And it's a turtle and a half shell. Turtle power. <laughs> I can't, no. I take that out. <laughs> Holy crap, dude. But this is insane. Yeah, this is this is this is one of our interviews that we, we both looked at each other when it was all said and done and said, I'm just processing. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean let, I, I mean, the best thing to do is just to dive into it and let Carrie tell her story. So without further ado. This is not your pastor's podcast. All right, we are here with Carrie. How are you doing, Carrie? Um, I'm good. Oh my gosh. So I read about your book back in September, and I thought... This is a person I could probably learn something from. Was so anxious and eager to read it and to hear your story. And then over the past like month, you're everywhere. You have got to be <laughs> yeah. exhausted. Um, yeah, I, I called a timeout two weeks ago. Like I, I have been sick for a couple of months. So like literally when I was on TV, I was sick. And so finally two weeks ago, my body's like, no, you're done. Like you can no more. And so I had to wave the white flag and say like, I need a two week break because I'm sick over here. I have, I literally have five publicists. I have three in the States, one in Canada and one in the UK. <laughs> oh my gosh. I yeah. Couldn't, so, I couldn't even imagine. Holy yeah. But they're, cow. they're, they're amazing. They, they took care of everything. They like, you know, book everybody and tell you where to go. Basically I was like, just tell me where to go and what to do and I'll do it. So that you, was, 
that was my life for a while. Are you traveling <laughs> like crazy? I was. Um, I'm done now. I have like one more trip. But yeah, in January, I was in Wichita twice, California, Toronto, and New York. And there was like two days between California and Toronto. Oh and then gosh. it was like Toronto to New York. And and then like you just come home and you crash and then you pack again. So you don't even unpack. Yeah. So and California is brutal because like it's so far and then it's like a five hour flight. And I took the red eye back. So mm. I like you're supposed to sleep overnight on this plane. It's a five hour flight. You lose three hours. So you leave at 10 and you get here at six. And then you have kids to take care yeah. of because it's a snow day. Like my husband, he missed four days of work because of snow days while I was traveling because I'm always the one home. So he's like, what, what is this? And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm traveling. You get to be the snow day person. Oh my gosh. So you live he- here in Michigan with us, not, not yeah, too far I live, away. Yeah. I live outside Detroit. Yeah. And, and we're, uh, we're in the Flint area and, but we've had 12 snow days. No, so far. no. I think we've had five or six. Oh my and gosh. Then, and then we got winter break. So they missed like a ton of school and then they gave them winter break. And I'm like, no, don't give them winter break. <laughs> <laughs> Make them go to school. It's, yes, please. We for sure had have had 12 snow days this year. It's Are you insane. guys going to get pardoned? I heard the governor pardoned us if we get too many. I think so. So what? That's a thing? Yeah, he, he did it a few years ago. Remember when it was so nasty and it was like minus 30? Yes. And so our school district has like a balanced calendar. Mm-hmm. None of this pertains to this interview, but it's stuff you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have like intercession breaks. So our summer is eight weeks long. Instead Whoa. Of, yeah, instead of 12 weeks. And then they insert those extra four weeks in throughout the school year. So you still have spring break and Christmas break and all that stuff. But then there's these intercession breaks. So for us, we're going to remove one of those intercession breaks, I think, toward the end. And make up a bunch of snow days because there's just been so many. It's been re- it's been insane. It's yeah, ridiculous. you know what? Maybe the governor will pardon because like when the winter was really bad, like three years ago or something, I heard he just pardoned the whole state because he wants people to be vacationing in June. He doesn't want them in school. So yeah, <laughs> maybe he'll give you your. It your makes sense off. for the economy, really. Yeah, I know yeah. our school year ends at the end of June. Oh, like our whole school district had to like put AC in all the buildings and. And make sure they're all up to code and everything. But anyway, you... (laughs) (laughs) Good segue. We're on. Yeah, yeah, anyway. 2020 and Dr. Phil and you're all over. How is Dr. Phil? Is he a nice guy? Yeah, he was amazing. Like, because he's a therapist, like a psychologist, I believe. So, like, he literally helped me in, like, 10 seconds on air. Oh, wow. Because he he did a visual, a pretty strong visual, where he put pictures of me growing up with my dad. Mm. Uh, like above the line and then he put pictures of like my dad's crimes below the line like his my dad's victims and and he told me on air and then he he reiterated it off air he's like you need to stay above the line oh wow you know he's like keep yourself above the line and and he like said on air like you had every right you know to write your story and to tell it in the way you did and to show that life you know the first 26 years with my dad and he said, you need to hold on to that. And, and, you know, like, it's okay to love him. It's okay, you know, to remember him. And, and that's where you need to stay because that's, that's healthy, you know, and talking about it over and over is healthy because he knows like, you know, trauma, trauma survivors, that's what we have to do. We got to talk, 
over and over and over, Mm. you know, to get better. So he actually literally was just helping me like that. I was like, man, can I just like come hang out with you in California? (laughs) (laughs) That's good to hear. He's not just like a TV personality. No, he's not. No, he stopped and talked to me after. Oh, that's so cool. And, and then he was like talking to other people and helping them too. So it was nice, like to know he's like legit, like a real person. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about my, my grandpa loves Dr. Phil, which is funny because my grandpa (laughs) is like, like super hard, like Hunter all of his life. He's like John Wayne incarnate. And then he's just like, I like, Hey Papa, what are you watching? He's like, Oh, Dr. Phil's on in like 20 minutes. I'm like, cool. Awesome. Good to know you're a fan. Yeah. My mom, my mom watches Oz. And so I was like, well, you got to go watch Phil. And I was like, just, you know, go watch it with grandma. And she's like, well, we don't watch Phil. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm like, you can watch Phil for me, you know? So it was like, it was like, well, we, we do this one, but we don't do that one. I'm like, Uh, Hey, I'm going to be on that one too. So like, go watch both of them, mom. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's crazy. I can't imagine how exhausted you've got to be going from place to place. I'm okay now. I was really like, I was literally falling asleep in New York City, like the best hotel, you know, down in Times Square. And I'm falling asleep with my phone as I'm trying to set the alarm, you know, at night. Like that's how I was like falling over asleep. And then when I got back, from New York, I had to take my kid to a doctor and I was, I think I fell asleep in the car for like a second driving. And I was like, "Mm." it's like, that's not okay. (laughs) She's like, mom, I think you maybe fell asleep for a second. I was like, yeah, my bad. So yeah, my bad. (laughs) I was like, I was like, that's because somebody put me on a red eye. Like, don't put me on a red eye flight from California and I won't fall asleep driving the car. So yeah, that's why I, I waved the right flag. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to take a two week break and then pick back up with everyone else. So that's what I'm doing right now, Man. but it's nice. Cause I can like interview at home and my yoga pants and yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and spend some time with us. Yeah, no problem. Well, that's insane. You that's may crazy. be one of our most high profile guests to date. <laughs> oh, well, I don't think uh, literally like not profile at all. So. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so in your in your book, you do such a great job of painting your childhood and really showing your dad as just a normal dad. I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't seem real even to me, you know, at times, I mean, it's been 14 years since he was arrested, you know, I mean, his first murders were 45 years ago, mm. you know, but it doesn't, like if I'm not talking about it or I'm not writing about it or researching something, you know, day to day, you know, I'm not really sitting there anymore thinking that my dad's BTK. So then it'll creep back up on me. Like there was a gap between when I, I did edits this summer and I did page proofs. So there was like a couple of month gap. And, and then I spent all day reading page proofs where you go line by line to read again. And at the end of that, after seven or eight hours of page proofs, I was like, holy crap, my dad's BTK, Mm. you know? So even for me, like it still, it still stings a little bit. Like you still have that thing like clicking in your brain, like, no, that's not right. And then it, it, you know, it hits again and you're like, oh, it still hurts, you know? And it's been 14 years and I wrote a whole book about it. (laughs) Yeah. You you have a chapter in there just about Googling your dad's name. Yeah. And it's like, holy cow. Like I can't. Yeah. 
Like, I don't recommend it. I don't <sighs> don't hit on the images. Like if you Google Dennis Rader, do not hit images. Oh, you man. will you'll never be the same again. You know. But just even even just having a parent, like everybody finds out, oh, you know, mom or dad has some sort of secret and oh well they're normal, they're human. But or, or this child was born out of wedlock or something like that. Yeah. But this is just a whole nother level. And how do you how do you process it all? Like how do you how do you not that you can get over it, but what helps you along the way? I mean one of the things that helps is time. So, I mean, I tried to show that in the book, you know, I only actually gave you guys seven years in the book after his arrest and it's been 14 now. Mm. So, but one of the, one of the healers is just time, you know, time for your brain to catch up and your heart to start again. And, you know, getting, um, time to just be a person and, and, and normalize yourself. You know, like the first five days I was in an immense amount of physical shock after I found out about his arrest in 05. You know, I was young. I was only 26. My husband was 25. Like, we just didn't realize how physically shock in shock I was and that I needed help, you know. And so it was really smart to finally get me on a plane back to Kansas to be with my family because that, that was normal. That was normalizing you know, like just my, my mom's side all gathered together, eating Kentucky fried chicken, going to bed on time, watching the amazing race, you know, choosing to read the newspaper and not choosing, doing crosswords, you know, drinking Folgers. Like it was just all very normal things my family would do if we were gathered for a holiday or something. So it was just sort of like we were like gathered together for an extended say like wake or something before a funeral, you know, there just wasn't the funeral. So like, like time helps, family helps, you know, and then faith has been huge for me. I mean, like I consider without my faith, my husband and therapy, I wouldn't still be alive. Hmm. So even if I was missing even one of those things, I don't think I'd still be alive because it's hard enough even with those three under me. So, I mean, early on, I just tried to grab onto God, you know, the way I knew him. You know, I didn't have the strength to pick up my Bible. I've never been good at scripture memorization. I've never been good at the quiet times, you know, maybe because like I didn't really become like a Christian Christian until college. But like, you know, I didn't I just knew to call out to him and he was there, mm -hmm. you know. So he, he like that first night when I found out about my father's arrest, I didn't even know like if I was going to make it through the night. You know, and God gave me Psalm 23, which I wrote in the book about. But of course, it, it always comes chopped to me. It, it's not in like the proper way, you know, like even though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, your rod and staff are beside me, you know, and, and it like God kept giving me little verses then, you know, like, like I wrote a lot about Psalm 27, one, like the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I mean, I still say that. I utter it all the time, you know, in my head or in my breath. Like when I was out riding at night at Panera late, now you're walking with a key between your hand, your fingers, because your dad taught you to do that. Like all women do that, mm -hmm. you know, because you're walking in a parking lot. So I also just add in like Psalm 27 one. So I'm not so scared mm. like to walk in the parking lot at night. So, I mean, faith got me through. And then my husband's just been a rock like throughout the whole thing, 
Yeah, I was so just going to ask, how long had you guys been married when you when your dad was arrested? Um, about 18 months. Oh, so we met wow. at, we met, yeah, we met at Kansas State in college. Um, and we had been together like three and a half years before we got married. Like we, we graduated from college in 03. We're living in our parents. He was living in, like basically in his parents' basement. You know, like we were living with our parents for a couple of months and then got married like idiots, like, you know, <laughs> totally broke and got married living off like life insurance that now you're like, why did I cash that in? You know, and <laughs> and we moved to Michigan for his job. Like he he called it. I wrote it in the book like he called, you know, I'm with my parents, like getting married in a month. He's like, I have a job. I'm like, where he's like Detroit. And my mom's like flipping out like like, you know, as an outsider, you're like don't move to Detroit. Yeah. It's like <laughs> when so, my parents said when I was moving yeah. to Flint, like the newspaper article just came out like the week before, like Flint became the murder capital or the highest, highest violent crimes per capita. And yeah. I had just like accepted it. They just accepted the offer on my house. So yes, totally. <laughs> but but <laughs> don't you see the irony? Like I'm in, I'm in Midwestern Wichita, like, you know, my mom's flipping out that I'm moving to Detroit, but she's murdered. She's married to my dad. <sighs> like, Oh like, man. That's that's the kind of irony that you can look at now like 14 years later, you know, and appreciate, oh I guess. Yeah. But yeah, we had only been married 18 months. So we were basically just kids, oh, you know. Wow. And so like I was on I was on a, a radio interview and somebody's like, "Man, he's like some men would have just left." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? Who are these men? Like who are these awful men you're talking about?" Yeah. Like he was giving my husband major props for sticking around. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm like, why wouldn't he have stayed with me? You know, but also I was trying to say, look, my husband went through the same exact thing I went through. Like it wasn't his father, but like he, he went through the same. Him. Yeah, he knew him. And, he, and my and my husband's a trauma victim, too. I mean, my husband went through everything I went through, you know. So like to us, like that day sort of sealed our marriage because now it was just us against the world, hmm. you know? And I tried to show that early marriage of like trying to get along with your new spouse and figure this thing out and fighting, you know? And after that, of course, I mean, we still have the normal marital stuff, but that's what sealed us. It was after that, it was always the world against us, you know, and we, we were okay as long as, as it was out there in the world. Yeah. There's a part in your book where you talk about your early years of marriage and you're talking about being in your apartment and sitting in folding chairs and watching Hockey Night in Canada. Yes. And I'm like, we just we just became friends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we were so poor. We were so poor. Like, literally, like, we brought, we drove the old car that, like, his parents had given him for college, you know. And my dad drove the moving van, you know. And we moved, we moved to Michigan, like, a few days after we got married. So we didn't even have a honeymoon. So now we're in Chicago, like my, my husband, Darren and I like arguing in Ikea, you know, I was like, it's our first marital fight. Cause he forgot to feed me. I don't know. He had been with me three and a half years and he somehow didn't know you got to feed me regularly. So like now I'm, I'm a hangry at hangry. him in Ikea. Yeah. And then, and then we got turned around in Chicago. Cause like, I'm like, I'm the navigator, but I don't communicate well. So <laughs> like this was, you know, before GPS and stuff. So yeah, it's amazing, like, what a marriage can withstand, you know. So, like, I wanted to show, I wanted to show all my real life, my, like, my life with my dad, my life with my brother and my mom, my life with my husband, you know. I wanted to show us these real people 
that just had this massive hammer drop down on us, yeah. you know, and, and for people to feel that, to sit there and feel that, like that, that tension at the end of part three, you know, the night before my dad's arrested. Cause some people are like, they said they had to put the book down and couldn't go. They were like, I don't know if I can read the rest of it, mm. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I appreciate that, but it's my life. So yeah. <laughs> like, I think what caught me and maybe it's just the Michigan ties, but here your your dad is in oh in the early two thousands he starts taunting the media again and you talk about your dad was dropped all this stuff off in the mail and then came up here on vacation up here in mm-hmm. Michigan and you paint this picture of your dad where you know you're you're in Bronner's in Frankenmuth and just looking at the Christmas villages, which is something I like love and do. Like I love model trains and, and so did, so did my dad. That's just something we'd be all in for. But at the same time, he's peering around the corner or trying to catch a TV screen to see himself on the news. And it's like, holy crap. Like this is, this is so huge. Yeah. I mean, my dad, when he was here in May of 04, like he literally, as far as I know, dropped off one of his BTK communications in our, in a, like a mailbox in front of the grocery store, you know, probably filled the cooler with ice, drove up here with my mom and my brother for my mom's birthday. And then, you know, we vacationed, like we went to Holland, we went to the Tulip Festival, you know, we went to the beach there in Holland with beautiful sand and the sunset with Big Red, you know, we went and walked, walked, we hiked at um, Hoffmaster, you know, that was like the first time I had like put my feet in Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then we're, you know, we're up in Frankenmuth. My dad's just this little kid at, at Bronner's. Like his whole face is just lit up from the magic of that place, you know. And oh, wow, look at the trains. You know, I mean, you basically are having to haul my dad out of Bronner's without letting you buy everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then, of course, and then in hindsight, you look back and you're like, well, dad wandered off down the main street of Frankenmuth for an hour. Where did he go? Yeah. You know, like, did he go look at the newspaper? Did he go look at the TV to see if someone had got his communication back at home? Like, it's just, it's just the most surreal thing. So, like, after you find out who your father really is, you know, there's like this gate that slams down on all those memories that doesn't want you to ever remember Lake Michigan. It doesn't want you to remember Bronner's. Yeah. You know, and, and, and something I didn't show in this book, I, I think it got edited out, but. Like, because you're going through so much trauma and you're dealing with so much, literally my husband and I almost forgot about the Great Lakes. So, like, I didn't visit a Great Lake between 04 with my dad and about 2013 after the book's done. So, and, like, we actually went to Hoffmaster and I had, like, my kids with me. And I was, I was struggling. And then it, it hit me like that was the last time, the one last time I had been there was with my dad, mm. you know, and I literally did not visit a great lake other than, you know, seeing like Lake area or something like I didn't go up North or visit a great lake or touch one until 13 till I, till I was healed enough. It was like, I was so shut down. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. You know, and my husband and I, we had grown up camping. He was a boy scout you know, I, we had planned to be, go hiking a lot here and camp a lot. And, and we didn't do it because like, we just, we lost that, you know, we lost that part of us because 
Like that was something I shared with my dad. But we've we've got it back now. Like we go up north all the time now, you know, and there's something really healing about like Tawas, like is about my favorite place in the whole state. So we try to get to Tawas every summer. My husband said Tawas always fixes something. We usually end up there when we're, things are just really lousy. And like my husband's like Tawas fixes something every time we go up there. That's that's the pure Michigan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the other side of pure Michigan versus the, the, the three, three, four months of ice and snow on the ground right now. No. Yeah. That's the thing too. Oh my gosh. I'm so done. I think, I figure if you could, if you could like swing it, just live here half the year and Florida half the year. Like that's, that would be perfection. But I I don't know how you swing that as like an adult unless you're like old and retired. So like the rest of us have jobs. Like we have to kind of be here most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) And then people like, I'm not from here. So when we moved here, like people are like, this is my Florida room, you know, like the, like the patio that's like got the covered porch, you know, screened in. I'm like, you're what? They're like, it's our Florida room. I'm like, (laughs) it's because they're so desperate to live in Florida. Right. Like they call it their Florida room. I'm like, and then, like, half the state of Michigan goes to Florida in the winter or something. Yeah. I'm like, that's so weird. And we're both peninsulas. Like, we're both the peninsula state. I'm like, there's some kind of weird connection there between Michigan and Florida. <laughs> yeah, there definitely is. Oh, my gosh. Um, I kind of want to circle back just because this is this is out of my own personal curiosity. Um what are What were some of the things? You said that your husband was your rock. I'm always trying to figure out how to be a better husband. Right. Um, so what were some of the things that your, your husband did for you that made him that rock for you throughout this whole, this whole process? I mean, okay. So he's like the grounded, logical, normal one. Right. And I'm like the one that's like fly at your seat of the pants drama, like wants to experience new things and, you know, get myself in trouble. So (laughs) like when I was falling apart early on, he was smart enough and still within enough you know, to think about things like I got a feeder, you know, we got to get groceries. Oh, we got to, yeah. you know, we got to take the tag off the car because it's got a K-State license plate on it. And we don't want, you know, people are following us. Like, let's get that off. Like, those are things I never think about even now, you know? So like he, he just had that presence of mind that, you know, I see often in men, I don't want to be like gender specific here, but you know, like, like he just had that presence of mind to do those things. And he, he's the one that always takes care of things, you know, like just helping out like around the house or getting some laundry done. He does the dishes, you know, four years ago when I started talking in public, i like basically fell apart after I gave this huge interview to my Wichita Eagle newspaper, my hometown paper. So I had to go back to therapy for six months. And he was like, He's like, you got to let me start doing more. And so he took over grocery shopping. He still does it, mm. you know? So like basically he, he made me give up some things because I'm the control freak. So, you know, like he was like, you have to let me take care of the kids more. You have to let me do something and I'm going to do grocery shopping, you know? And I was like, Oh God bless you now. Like, I don't even know how to grocery <laughs> shop now, you know, and so for a while there, he's texting, like, what color box do I get? You know, but now I'm the one over at Meyer being like, what do we get? You know? <laughs> so like, I think just, you know, I mean, my situation is rare, but 
I think anybody can just kind of step up a little bit and like know your wife or your partner well enough to know like how to help him, you know? And also like, he's just, he's easygoing. So he just lets me be crazy, you know, but he also, he'll also call me out on my BS now, you know, or be like, you need to go take a nap or, you know, I tweeted something today. He's like, no, you need to take that down. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, we've been together, what, since we've been together like 19 years. So he, like, you know, you just get to know a person well enough that you can, like, call them out on stuff and help them when they need help. You know, I mean, we still fight. And, oh, yeah, know, everybody fights. Have our normal, our normal problems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every, like, and go to look at the reviews and people are like, Oh, her husband's the hero. And then people are giving my husband crap. They're like, are you in there secretly writing reviews about yourself? Like, in Am- like Amazon, like <laughs> making fake reviews saying like, you're the hero. Oh. And, and I, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I'm like, Hey, I wrote the whole book, but I, I guess my husband's the hero. So <laughs> <laughs> are, are are you getting like a lot of haters or you just not pay attention to it or uh, it gets really bad like after dr phil was probably the worst i mean i had like 400 facebook comments on my page you know and and in there so my husband had to become an admin i was out in california <clears throat> when my book launched and i couldn't keep up you know i couldn't keep up with the social media and so he's like i'll just step in and be an admin for you so because <clears throat> i couldn't I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do anything else other than admit, you know, and really like, I can't even read all the comments. So I feel bad because like 95% is positive, you mm-hmm. know, people that it's helping, it's encouraging them, showing them something about their faith, giving them hope, you know, tell, making them like making them think they need to get back to therapy or forgive somebody. But then, you know, there's those few douche noggins in there you know they have to run it for everybody <laughs> so, hashtag douche noggin <laughs> so yeah I, facebook's kind of the worst right now for me because it's just my husband's like it's just such a heavy commented format yeah you know so i mean there's all there's like everybody's grandma over there trying to support you and then like the other night yeah i woke up and somebody's grandma, like literally she's retired. She lives in Arizona. She's from Canada. She had spent like an hour saying like really awful, vile things on like all of my posts mm. on Facebook. And I was like, what is that? And are you legitimately like this person? Or are you hiding behind this account? Yeah. You know, because if, like people are like, oh, that's a basement troll. Like that's some young guy. And I'm like, it's not like, I think it's legitimately like somebody's grandmother doing that. <laughs> You know, and so like we try it, we ban, we block, you know, we delete and we screenshot because I'm like, you know, I literally have a detective still on speed dial that like helped capture my dad that I'm close to. Mm. So I'm like, why are you don't mess with me? You know, <laughs> it's not, like it's not smart. It's and it, and it hurts, you know, I, like social media is you know, amazing in some ways and it's so awful in others. Yeah, for sure. You no. Know? So yeah, it, I mean, it gets worse. Like when I, the documentaries like 2020 came out and there was an investigation discovery documentary that came out. So, you know, like you'll see it go up and then it'll go back down. Mm, so, yeah. and I, I've been over there kind of pushing back, you know, a little bit or like, 
I share J. Blige song, Take Me As I Am. You know, like she's been down and out and talked about sort of like my push, my clap back. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh. But over on Twitter, there's like a huge Me Too movement and then the church too, you know. And so I found an amazing community of survivors over on Twitter. So, you know, they're super supportive. So we're all over there just trying to like help each other with whatever we've been through, you know. And then, of course, you know, somebody will come in and try to rent it. Yeah. Like, I just, I feel like, I feel like Twitter is kind of my happy place of the three big mediums. And then Facebook, I'm like, got to do it for my job. And uh, Instagram, you know, I like it. People People don't give me too much crap over on Instagram, so... Oh, that's good. Uh, Carrie, do you mind if we take, we're going to take a break right here? No, yeah, that's fine. All right, Jason, it's time for a five-star review. They just keep coming in. Uh, Yeah. They're just like Niagara Falls. It just keeps going and going. I guess the Energizer Bunny would have been a better. Yeah. Dang it. Hey, suck at this. For people who don't know, how do they leave a five-star review? So you need to go onto the Apple iTunes podcast app. And what you could do is you could rate our podcast, which we would greatly appreciate. But also, when you can, when you rate us, you can leave us a little comment. And so Jason and I have this thing where what you can write a comment with your five-star review, and we have to read it. I don't know how to say it more clearly, Jason. Whatever you write, mm-hmm. whatever it says. I don't think you could swear in there. I think it blocks it if you use. Does it block words. it? I think so. Oh. If you don't, if you do, if you're Android and you don't do iTunes at all, you can support us on Patreon for a dollar a month. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so go on the Apple iTunes podcast app and leave us a five star review. The more five star reviews we get, the more uh, ears we get to preach to. I guess you could say grace. Grace. We get to grace ears. Grace ears with our lovely voices. But we want to read one for you right now. This one is called The Mightiest by Toppernot. I just love gathering around the Lord's Word with these delightful brothers in Christ. They wax most intellectually and sometimes doth not. I deliver unto them mighty praise, <laughs> though their rambunctious iniquity can be a tad troubling. This pod is a delight to my ears, and I am refreshed when I find it anew. <laughs> Thanks, Toppernot. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think he's spent some time in the KJV. Yeah, it sounds like somebody who's a KJV only dude. Or New King James. Or maybe that was the Toppernot version. Bible. Could be. Would that be the ATV? The authorized Toppernot version? <laughs> No, that's an all-terrain vehicle. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you very much for that review, and we got more reviews coming in, so if you've left us a review, don't worry, we're getting around to it. Sometimes Apple is a little uh, slow to get us our five-star reviews, but as soon as we get them, we read them. So thank you so much for sending that, and Jason, we need to get back into the story with Carrie. Mm-hmm. So let's go back and do it. Imaginary kiss. Everybody, I said, I imagine every kiss. Everybody, I said, I imagine every kiss. 
All right, guys, we are back with Carrie, and we are going to talk about some church stuff, because why wouldn't you want to listen to a podcast like this and not talk about church stuff? Yeah, church so stuff is great. we have to kind of talk about it. So you, you've, you've talked about before, you kind of grew up more Lutheran, but you grew up going to church all your whole entire life, right, Carrie? Yeah, I'm over here nodding my head like they can see my head nodding. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I grew up Lutheran, and so my mom, my mom has gone to the same church since she was a baby, like literally the same church. Um, and so she actually met my dad at a Lutheran church. He had got back from the Air Force, and so she already knew his mom and knew his brothers, and um, that. So they met at church, and she's like, "Our eyes met," and that was it. I was like, "Okay, mom." you know, when I was a kid. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, every Saturday night you had to take a bath. Like I'm a total tomboy. So like, don't make me go take a bath. And then every Sunday I had to wear a dress and tights, you know, and, and like the annoying tight shoes. So like my family always dressed up. My dad always polished his shoes Saturday night. And then we sat in like one wood, one long wooden pew with both sets of my grandparents almost every Sunday. Like, you know, from the time I was a baby until, you know, I went to college. So like 18 years of this, you know, so like for me, like I, I enjoyed the tradition growing up, but being Lutheran, like you don't talk about salvation, you know, mm. Jesus is pretty much he stays like on the flannel board, you know, oh, like the nice the, guy the, with the sheep, yeah, the you know, or the, the white guy with the blue eyes, like on, in the painting, you know, like, like that's, that's like that, that, that like American Jesus. Uh-huh. And so like now, like you don't like church cause you're forced to go and you're forced to dress up and you have to be quiet, all things you don't like, you know, and then you have to go to confirmation, which is like catechism. So you have to do that for two years like in your middle school years, every Wednesday night, you know, so you've been to school all day. Now you got to go sit for two hours in school, mm. you know? And so you basically are forced to become like this adult of the church when you're 14, 15, you know? And so high school, I was just, you know, rebelling. Like I was a pretty good kid, but I was like, I'm just going to rebel and, and I'm going to declare God dead, <laughs> you know? Cause like I was taking like advanced biology and I, I came up against things and I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile God with what I was learning in school, you know, and nobody, I would try to ask people, like I tried to talk to the pastor, like this, this kid died. These kids died in this car accident down the street, my freshman year, you know, and I would take it to the pastor and they would like not, not be able to answer my questions. So I was like, okay, I'm done with this. It's, I'm like, I don't want to do this, you know? But you don't even tell your parents because they're going to, like, thump you over the head, you know, for, like, not believing in God. So I got to college, no relationship with God. And then I lost my cousin and my grandpa four months apart, my cousin in an accident, my grandpa to cancer. And I was basically falling apart in college, you know. So I wrote about that, like, didn't realize I had anxiety, didn't realize I had depression, didn't realize I had mental illness in my family, didn't know who my dad was, you know, like it's Midwestern, you don't talk about your problems, you don't talk about things that are hard, you know, so like, nobody knows I'm over here, like suicidal, basically, when I'm 18, mm -hmm. you know, and I was wrestling with God, I would yell at him, but then I'm like, he's not there, but I'm yelling at him, like, am I going crazy? 
So I went on this hiking trip with my, my dad in May of 97. I was ni- almost 19. And like we got into so much trouble down there in the Grand Canyon because of my dad's stupid ideas to go hike in the desert for a week. <laughs> you know, like we're total like novices that had always just camped like in campgrounds. And like, you know, I mean, the first day I thought I was going to die down there. You know, literally thought I was going to fall off the edge of the, or wanted to, you know, I was, I was so bad. And, and that's when I saw God, you know, I felt him there, like, as I was about to go off the ledge on this trail, I literally like felt him. It felt like my cousin and my grandpa, it was like, it was like angels literally there in the Canyon with me. And then you're like, okay, I've just completely, I'm delirious. I have heat stroke. Right. Mm. So that week in the canyon that I just kept praying to God, I was like, if you're there, find us a place to camp. If you're there, find us water. If you're there, save my brother. If you're there, get my butt out of here. You know, and I literally made that deal with God. Like I was four days in, I'm like in the canyon, I'm looking up the Milky Way, like the best I've ever seen it ever. And I was like, man, you are, you are real. Like you are real. You made that. I get it now. I'm sorry. Like, forgive me. Like, I'll figure out your son. I'll figure you out if you get me out of the canyon. (laughs) 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 And so, like, two days later, like, he got me out of the canyon, right? And, like, my shoes falling apart, my ankles twisted. I'm, like, this disgusting mess. And I, like, step, literally, I step, like, the first foot, like, off this trail. And, bam, it's, like, God just smacking you down on your head. And he's like, yeah, you're mine now. You know, like, oh he didn't even, like, he didn't even let, like, that second foot land. You know, it was like the first foot hit payment. And he's like, bam, you're mine. I'm like, oh, hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know enough to know, like, your whole life has utterly just been changed. Like, you really just made your life harder. You know, like, you got the deal. You're out of the canyon. But now you're like, I know my life's going to be completely different now because I made that deal with you. And he like, like, he doesn't go back on him, you know, like you'll walk away, you'll fight him, you'll argue with him the rest of your life. But he's like, Nope, like you're done. We're sealed. Oh <laughs> you know, gosh. but like the crazy thing is like, I had that. So I had God for eight years before everything fell out in 05 with my dad. So like when I got back to college, I found Campus Crusade for Christ. I found actual Christians, you know, I found people that I could have those long discussions with and wrestle with, you know, people that like were willing to sit down and have those talks with you. You know, I found C.S. Lewis. I found, you know, like C.S. Lewis, like changed my life. You know, I found all of that after the canyon. And so like that that's where my foundation came from that was there, even even though we weren't even in church, like in 05 when my dad was arrested, that was under me. So then when everything else fell, that was still there. Mm. You know, and so I had I had my husband and I had that. Mm. You know, and I still didn't even know how I was gonna like survive day to day. Yeah, because I'm sure like a lot of people a lot of people are probably asking this question right now as they're listening to this, like, well, how do you reconcile your faith with like who your dad is? And like, how does, how does, how does all of that work? Because here you are telling an incredible story about the Grand Canyon, which man, I really want to go there now. 
<laughs> like, I, I want to forget North Manitou Island and just go all out and go to Grand Canyon. But, like, that's a memory that you have with your dad, and that's, like, a formidable event in your faith. So, like, how do you reconcile those two? How do you kind of make those two things work, I guess? I don't know. I mean, after after the arrest, I lost I lost my dad. I was just BTK, and I was just BTK's daughter. And I tried to show that in the book, you know. I, I, I lost who I was and who I knew for a really long time. And, you know, it wasn't until I got back into church a year after my dad um, was arrested in his plea. And I, and I started building a really strong foundation under myself again. I mean, God did, you know, through church. So it was like six years of strong foundation of church underneath me under an amazing pastor named Brad Powell and, you know, a great community of sitting under that kind of teaching and pursuing it. Like that's what broke my heart enough to forgive my dad. Mm -hmm. So when I forgave my dad in the fall of 12, my husband said I came back to carry, you know, like as soon as I forgave my dad, I was carry again. You know, I, I lost, I had lost myself for seven years. I had lost my dad. So I had already started speaking up in my church before I forgave him. And I, I, it was hard because I, I was standing up in front of these women in the fall of 12, you know, women's ministry saying like, you know, all of this great stuff has happened and all this terrible stuff has happened. And, and here I am a Christian, but I haven't forgiven my dad. And I felt really bad and ashamed that I hadn't done that as a Christian. But after, after that happened, that's when I was able to start talking more, you know, that's when my relationship with God got better. And that's when I was able to like share my story, you know, within two years I was speaking publicly with the media, you know, like after that, you know, my whole church shared my story with like 20,000 people over a weekend. And then, and then God was like, okay, now you're going to go write a book. Mm. you know, so all of the, all, all of the good stuff that's come in the last many years has, was all after forgiveness because I was, I was hard and I was shut down and I hurt too bad. You know, I was angry. I was, I like God had to like get me woke up again and, and get rid of that rot in me so that I could do everything I'm trying to do now or God's trying to do through me. Now, because he, he, it was like was blocked. I was like blocked until I forgave my dad. Reading your book, I see a change. There's a gigantic change. You talk about your dad and his closing statements. He refers to your family as social contacts. Uh, I think you say in your book, like, you're going to hell, like burning hell. But by the end of your book, you're like, I hope to see my dad in heaven. And what, what does that? Like, what? How how do those two things, how do you go from one extreme to the other? I mean, you you don't do it. God doesn't in you. So, I mean, it was God that was like saying, like in 06, like we had gone to see some friends in Ohio and it was our pastor friend in Ohio that told us about the church here in Michigan to go to, you know, and, and I still didn't, you know, you're like, God's like knocking on you, go to church, go to church, you know, go do this, whatever it is, God knocks on you to go do, and doesn't have to be church. 
And, you know, you can ignore him for a while, but he keeps getting louder and more uncomfortable to mm. you just to go do it, you know. And so we finally, I don't even know how we ended up there, but as soon as I stepped in there, I knew, I knew it was home. Like it felt like home. That's like, that's one of the ways I know is God's there because it feels like, like a home you've never even met known. So I think, I think, you know, what, what you're seeing between my dad's sentencing in 05 and the forgiveness in 12 is seven years of, 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 of time and, and therapy and, and, you know, a love from my husband and, and, and faith at church, you know, like literally sitting there in church sobbing as a pastor, you know, is talking about grace because you think, you think you've been out for too long. Like you think there isn't anywhere you can go because you're must be the worst sinner in the world. Cause you haven't been in church for three years, mm. you know, and, and, and to sit there and receive that, and know that it's meant for you is just so freeing, mm-hmm. you know, and then I got, I got into Bible study. So I had never done, I had done some Bible study in college, but like I found Beth Moore like in around 2007, like Beth Moore was huge, is huge in my life, like foundational changing me, you know, yeah, like, like, so in like, before I forgave my dad, I was I was working at Beth Moore story, um, Beth Moore study, James Triumphs, Mercy Triumphs. It's about James, you know. And so I'm sitting there, and it's and and like James is basically saying, "What good is your faith? Like, what good is your faith if you're if it's just for you? Like, what are you going to go do about it? What are you going to do with it?" And and that's when you know people in ministry like we had the opportunity to get up and speak. And and there comes that knock again, like, all right, it's time for you to start testifying. Oh man. You know, like you're going to go tell your testimony, you know, and oh, no. nobody like there, there's hardly anybody that even knows your BTK's daughter, you know, cause you don't talk about it. Like you maybe talk about it in small group. So there's maybe a handful of people in Michigan that know who you are and God's like, nope, time to go tell your story. And you're like, oh God, you know, <sighs> but if you don't do it, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. You know? And so I, you know, I shared that in my book, like, you know, I stood up and I was literally shaking as I like told him who I was and, you know, what God had seen me through. And then like after that, like, you know, you just sort of know something's coming. You're like, okay, I haven't forgiven my dad. So you're like, you know, that's coming. And and I was working in Joseph. We were working, we were sending Joseph's life out of Genesis in the fall of 12, you know, and that's where my life first came out of Genesis 50, 20. You know, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good for the saving of many lives. Like what's happening now? I totally misquoted it, but you know, like I I could see the overlap in my life of Joseph's of like his family had tried to kill him, you know, and then he's he's in a position of power and he forgives them and saves them, you know. And so I just like God was just putting that right in me, and then I like I broke my leg, so I was laid up with a stress fracture, chasing a one year old, like crawling around on the floor. And you're so mad at God. You're basically like flipping off God, right? Yeah. And you're so mad at him. And you're like shaking your fist at the sky and you're like, why me? You know, I've been through so much. Like, why are you doing this to me? You know, and and you're just so angry. And and then like, so like basically like 
I hurt my legs and I hurt my ankles a lot. And I get laid up when I need to like do serious God heart work and like not be busy with ministry, you know, not be like the busy person just running around. So God's like, nope, we're going to lay here for a couple of months and figure this out. And I was driving home in December of 2012. I had been to a movie. I had always gone to movies with my dad. Maybe that was some of it. And I literally stopped at a stoplight and it was just like this white hit, white light, like hit the inside of me. And I was like, I forgave my dad at that moment, but it was like God had done it in me. I would have never been able to do it on my own, you know? So I'm sobbing. There's like a police car drives by. I'm like, oh God, he's going to stop and wonder like, why is this crazy woman crying in December in Michigan? And like, and then do you tell the police officer who you are? No, no, you don't tell them. <laughs> I'm just really sad because it's cold. Leave me alone, officer. <laughs> so I like, I, I rushed home. I like run up our stairs I'm like, I forgave my dad. I like basically burst into my husband's office, like our freezing office. And he's like, what? Like, have you been drinking or what is going on? You know? And I was like, and I sat down and I wrote my dad. I hadn't talked to him in five years. Like no communication. I, you know, and I sat down and I just poured it all out. It's like just about my, like the grandkids my dad would never see. And, you know, the life he had lost and this beautiful state he never gets to visit, you know? And then at the end, you know, I said, like, I got to wrap it up. I love you. I forgive you. I'm letting it go. You know, and I, I hope to see you in heaven someday, you know. And and then after that's my husband said, that's when I came back to myself. Wow. That Holy cow. It's incredible. And I didn't even mean to end the book there. I meant to write it up through 15. But, like, I was 10 months over on on my deadline, seriously. Like. And so, and I was way over on word count. And so like, that's where we ended it. And I was like, maybe that's where it was supposed to end. Or God said, nope, it's ending here. Like this one's ending right here, mm. you know? And so there's, there's quite a bit more story after that, but that's where that one ended. And people get mad at me. Like they Facebook me, they Twitter me. They're like, they're like, if BTK and Hitler could be in heaven, then I'm just going to go rod in hell. Like, I don't even want to be in heaven. Oh my if your gosh. Dad's in heaven. And I'm like, I, I'm Are like, I'm crazy? not saying, yeah, I'm like, I'm not saying my dad is going to be in heaven because I've never really seen that transformation that you would hope you would see if someone is a Christian. Yeah. You know, I don't really see that repentance or that walk, you know, that you, that you would see, but he could be, yeah. anybody could be there. And I, I mean, maybe that's, Maybe that's completely radical or like completely conservative nuts nowadays to say that. But I'm like, like God can forgive anybody. Cause my husband's over there saying, look, if God, if Christ didn't die on the cross for everybody, then he didn't die for anybody. He didn't actually conquer death, Amen. you know? And I'm like, he's, he's on the cross and he tells what he looks at the criminal and he's like, I'll see you in heaven. Hmm. The criminal hasn't done anything at that point. Right. And people are like, well, all you have to do is be a good person or not suck or not be your dad, you know? And I'm like, no, that's, that's not it. I'm like, that, that criminal didn't do anything, you know? Like, he just looks at Christ and, like, says, I want to be there with you. And he's like, done, you're, you're with me. Oh, man. You know? Holy and so, cow. I... so I'm like, so I get, I'm getting hit by people about that, you know? And then, and then they have to, they literally, they write me they write public comments with graphic details of things my father did to like children. And I'm like, why are you writing me this? Like, 
I've known it for 14 years. You don't have to write this to me. Like, is go is God's forgiveness not good enough, though? I don't know. I mean, what what wouldn't be good enough? I mean, what would be good enough if God's forgiveness isn't enough? Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of almost like that that vengeance mentality that we have, like the people that have done harm, even though they didn't do harm to those particular people. It's almost like, yeah, well, they need to they need to pay because like we're a society of justice and this and that. And it's like, man, God's justice and God's forgiveness is is crazy. And like any vengeance that's going to be dealt out is going to be dealt with him. So it's like, that's something that we can just leave on the table. Like we don't have to deal with anything as far as those vengeful feelings. All we have to do is just ask God for forgiveness and help, help just kind of process all of this stuff. And it's just, it, it just, I've, I've been blown away this, this, the past couple of years, just with this podcast, especially hearing so many stories. And this is just another one that, that goes in the, in the books as a story of how big and awesome our God is. The fact that he, can forgive anybody and like anybody who doesn't understand that is just like come on broaden your vision of god just a little bit more for me because it's so much better on this side knowing that how big and awesome our god is that there's literally no sin that he cannot overcome right so. and yeah and people are writing me they're like well well we're not talking little sins you know i'm like sin is sin guys like yeah. i'm sorry to do that to you especially in light of what my the the horrific things my father has done, you know, I'm like to God, sin is sin, you know, and, and he tells us back in the Psalms, like I'll forget as far as East is from West, you know, and, and after I forgave my dad, you know, I would get angry. I get at my dad or I wouldn't talk to my dad or, you know, I would have, you know, I, I would hate my dad again. I would, I would feel that. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to forgive my dad again. You know, yeah. like God forgives you over and over and over. Like God is constantly walking with you and forgiving you. So why am I not doing that? Mm. So God hit me with that. He's like, he hit me with that first. He's like, got to do it over and over. You know, it's like, it's like a walking, a walking perpetual forgiveness that I give you perpetually. Cause I already know what you're going to go do, you know? So like I'm perpetually walking with you in grace and you need to perpetually do that with others. And I, I'm I, not that I do that, you know, because I'm I'm like over here failing too, like everyone else. But yeah, like I get where people are coming from. We 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 go to church and we paint this picture of hell, and it it exists for people like your dad, but it doesn't exist for people like me. Right. You know, and but, we we say and we 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 do this comparison game where we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this guy. I mean, this guy was church president and. He was a deceiver, and I'm not him. So maybe, so clearly, I'm not going to hell. And we excuse ourselves, like we're just as deserving, right? I mean, what is hell to me? It's the absence of the absence of God, yeah. right? It's so. I mean, it goes back to the old Christian thing: you're in court, God's the judge. Who's your lawyer? Jesus. Yeah. Like, without Jesus, can you be in the presence of God? No. I mean, from from a Christian standpoint, you can't be. So what's hell? The absence of Christ and God. Like, do you want to ever tell anybody they're going to end up there? No. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's hard, you know, and then, and then people are like, well, what about evil and suffering? And like, why, why is this being, why, why did, you know, why did t 10 people over here die because of your father? You know, like, where was God? 
you know, and that was something I really wrestled with. You know, when I lost my cousin, I lost my grandpa. It wasn't because of other people, but I was like, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Where are you, God? You know, and he, and he, like the whole time he was there and I didn't even see that till I wrote the book. It wasn't, you know, until I was like literally sobbing in Panera, lonely as hell, you know, writing for years, you know, listening to like Jesus culture on repeat, <laughs> you know, that like I saw like God was with me every second of my life. He wanted me to see that and I didn't see it till I wrote the book, almost till I got to the end, you know, and, and he kept hitting me with that like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Your earthly father did all this to you. I will never do that. And I didn't even see it till I got to near the end, you know? Mm. And I was like, wow. I was like, look at that. Like you gave that to me back in the Canyon, you know? And I didn't even know it for like two more decades. Mm. And then I forget. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We look at the life, we look at the life of David, like he committed adultery with Bathsheba had, a husband murdered, took a census that led to the murder of thousands of innocent people, and yet he's considered a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's if there's a heaven, David's in it. Mm-hmm. Paul, I mean, Paul, Paul's my man. Like, yeah. I mean, Paul murdered thousands, I think. Yeah. No. You know, and God's if he didn't murder him, him, like he God hit him, it. yeah, literally hit him on the trail, like because he was he's like a hard hearted, stubborn person like me. Like, God knew it was going to take like a desert and almost death to like you know get to me because I'm so stinking stubborn. You know, he's like, I'm gonna have to break you almost to death before you're willing to even acknowledge my existence, you know. So, like. I don't know. When people are knocking me, I'm like, go read the Old Testament. Like, yeah, what the heck? For sure. Like, go look at David and every everyone else in there, like, in all their massive failures, and God loves them. Yeah. You know? I, I saw but you. People are, <laughs> oh, go ahead. I, my husband said, you got, my husband's like, you got to understand people are mad. They're yeah, angry. They're angry sure. at my father, you know, especially people back in my hometown. You know, they're angry at what he did to the hometown. He's they're angry at what he did to these families, you know, and, and they're and they can't really they can't take their anger out on my dad. There's nothing they can do to my dad. So they're they're doing it to the person next to him, me. Yeah. So he's basically they're like they're just mad. You know, they're not even really mad at you. They're just mad. But they don't process it every day. It's not like they're waking up every morning and thinking about it. It's just, no, it happened no, in the just, news. Like it's, they're just at 2 a.m. commenting on my Facebook because they can't. Yeah, exactly. And, like, honestly, like, what bigger, like, we talk about this concept of grace and forgiveness and how God's going to renew all things. And we're going to sound like maybe the biggest jerks in the world because it's going to come off as we're saying. Like, he did some horrible things. No big deal. And we're not saying that at all. But at the same time, wouldn't the biggest picture of grace being your dad up in heaven? Yeah. Like, is that not like the most redeeming thing that could ever happen? You look at this example of, okay, like, beyond horrible. But then we get to this this place in heaven where if he's there... Like, how amazing mm-hmm. is that going to be? Like, even this, yeah, even this has been redeemed. Mm-hmm. 
Like what what more could you ask for? What more could you want? What more like hope? Like mm-hmm. and surely if your dad could be redeemed, the the whole comparison model like, oh, I'm not as bad as that guy, then yeah, I can be redeemed too, right? Right. Oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, do, I mean God talks about in Psalms you know, being widest known, I wrote that, you know, I had shared that before I forgave my dad and I put it at the end of the book, you know, the verse about being crimson, white, you know, we sing that song, worst you, widest know, mm-hmm. you know, like literally I picture my dad, if he is there, you know, in white robes and, and it's, it's, it's that man, that good inside of everything that's bad about my dad is, 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 is a soul, you know, I'm getting upset about it because people people say, like, your dad can't have anything good. He can't be a real person. He can't have a soul. He didn't have empathy. He didn't love you. And I, I know without a fact that that he did all those things and that he did could be decent. You know, people don't want to accept that from, like, they don't want to think that their father could be somebody like my dad or, you know, their coworker, their person they're sitting next to in church. You know, and so I'm like, I know there's redeemable things about my father. So I know that redeemable stuff could be home in heaven. You know, that's what I see when I see my dad home. That's the man that the decent and good man that I knew. I mean, if you're if you're talking about like, okay, there was the fall. Right. So everything's crap. Right. Mm -hmm. So like something happened to my dad either before he was born, after he was born something went massively wrong with my father. So my father's part of the fall, right? So that can be redeemed too, you know? Mm, mm, Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, like if we're not, we're not willing to give somebody like my father redemption, then what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. And so maybe we'll end with this because I know this is a big topic for a lot of people. Um, we talk about is God the Father. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and for a lot of people, maybe they had an absentee dad or their dad was a terrible person who did awful things and it ruins their concept of God the Father. How do you reconcile that? Yeah, I mean, that actually came after forgiveness. I was, I was doing, uh, I think it's Blackaby's Experiencing God. It's a massive Bible study. I mean, it takes like almost a year to do it, right? So I, I was in this study for a long time between forgiving and had not forgiven. It was like February of 2013. You know, I was up really late with God, cramming the night before, like, Bible study. And God was just like, I am your father. Like, I know... I know your earthly father has failed you and hurt you a massive amount over and over. I'm not him, you know, like I'm not him. I don't, I don't fail you. I don't hurt you. Everything you've been through is not from me. You know, you know, you're like, he's literally talking to you through the Bible study at like 2 a.m. saying like, I'm not your dad. I'm, you know, I'm God, but I'm your father and I want to be your father and you're going to have to stop being mad at me. You know, and, 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 and again, I didn't even see that till I was writing and I tried to put that in, you know, as I was becoming a mother of saying like, you know, God had been walking by me, walking alongside me this whole time, but he's also my father, 
you know, and I would, I would, I was coming up against that, you know, in faith, I didn't want to acknowledge God, the father, you know, and he had, he had me to, had to, had to have me see that he, he's above, like he's above your earthly father. Cause mm-hmm. he's, he's not, God can't, he's not fallible. He doesn't, he doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't, he can't hurt you. You know, and that all, all that hurt came from the fall. All that hurt came from sin. All that hurt came from messed up, hurting, awful people. You know, it, it, it didn't come from God. So you have, you have to learn to look at him above the crappy earth we can live on and find him. Because he wants you to find him and then he's there all the time. He never goes anywhere. You know. And he doesn't care. Like he doesn't care if you flip him off or get mad at him. Oh, yes, you know? thank you. That's that's one of the messages we try to communicate. Like that's actually healthy behavior. Like for the wrestling, right? Yeah, and, like, you're who, supposed to. Who is it in the Old Testament that rest, literally wrestled with him? Yeah, if you, um, I can't. Th- Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, Jacob literally like wrestled with God. Like that's my relationship with God. Like constantly wrestling. I literally God takes my legs out for a while. He's like, nope, we're going to sit here and we're going to, we're going to stop moving and cease for a while. We're just going to like you and me. Yeah. You know, like I, like I wouldn't want it where I'm just sitting in a pew going through the motions and being entertained by the band. And now I'm going to listen to the preacher speak for 30 minutes. I hope he doesn't go 31 minutes because that would just be the worst. I got to go get lunch. We got to go watch the lions lose. Yeah. Yeah. Or the wings. <laughs> yeah. The wings. Oh my gosh. No. That, that might be the hurst, most hurtful thing you've said. Yeah. <sighs> well, well, I saw your sweater. So sorry. My husband's over here in mourning too right now. I know it. Yeah. It's been a rough season for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I flipped off the Instagram yesterday on Twitter and I everyone's retweeting it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm writing for a Christian publisher and someone's going to get mad at my mouth. But yeah. I usually, I'm trying really hard to behave myself. So I was like, yeah, I was ticked at the Instagram. So yeah. I, I'm like trying to keep it real over here, you know. Oh, that's part of why we're not your pastor's podcast because obviously you wouldn't hear this from the pulpit, but. <laughs> Well, it, people need to hear it. I mean, people are hurting and people, you know, we don't know where to go right now. A lot yeah. of us like can't, we can't find our home right now, you know, cause one, one home is just not right anymore. And the other home doesn't feel right either. So like, that's why some of us, you know, are struggling with church and absolutely struggling with our faith and trying to figure out where we belong and, you know, what, I don't know. I feel like it's going to get better. I feel like it's yeah. got to get harder before it gets, it's got to get worse before it gets better. Hmm. Holy wow. Man, Carrie, is there anything that you would want to leave our listeners with? I mean, I mean, we talked a lot about faith and, but I think it's important people, people know like not to give up. You know, I mean, that's what I've been trying to share with people. Hey, just don't give up. You know, mm. I don't even want to say like get out of bed because sometimes that's too hard. But mm. I'm like, you know, hang in there if you have to in your bed all day. But like, stay alive. Don't give up. You know, and and get to help if you need to. Get to therapy. You know, I mean, I went to trauma therapy. I've done more than a year at trauma therapy. So, 
and it was the church, the church like knew to send me to the right therapist. That's like, awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't church therapy. It was trauma therapy. That in itself is rare. Right. <laughs> like that's awesome. So get, get help, you know, and, and don't quit. Hmm. So where can people uh, pick up your book and fo- follow you and just follow what you're doing and continue to like, hear some more inspiring words from you? Um, so my book's called A Serial Killer's Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming. And it's like at any bookstore online, your your own bookstore, you know, anywhere you buy a book or libraries. Um, it's on Kindle and audio, too. And then um, I'm I'm over there being a mouth on Twitter at Carrie Rawson. <laughs> Instagram, you can see a lot of photos of cats. That's that's sort of my Instagram. Yeah. So we see photos of chubby cats. And Facebook is sort of in between those two. I, I'm, I'm struggling right now with Facebook, but I, I have to stay over there and behave. So, yeah. so it's Carrie Ross and all those. Or you can Google me. I, yeah, like literally, like I've been telling like my doctors or I was at the car dealership this weekend and I was like, just Google me. And they're like, what? I was like, just type my name in. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get you get this look, and you're like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so maybe I'll say the, like the cliche thing, but thank you for writing the book. I think you're brave. I think you're bold. I I think it's awesome. Thanks, I appreciate that. It was it was a long suffering in the writing, you know, and I didn't I didn't know if I'd ever get it done. So it feels so good to be on the side and you know, be able to sleep again and also just be, you know, know that it's helping people and, you know, making a difference. It makes a huge difference in my life to hear that, you know, it's impacting people. Like, I mean, I was hoping that it would. So, you know, I'm just going to try to keep doing the right thing. Hopefully and not be too much of a mouth when I do it. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> On a Monday, no less. It's, yeah. M- Mondays are terrible in general. <laughs> yeah. They get a bad rap. Today today, today earned its keep as a bad Monday. But yeah, sometimes Mondays just get a bad rap. We have a slogan. Yes. Here at Not Your Pastors Podcast. And I think it goes if along. If it's free, it's worth saving up for. <laughs> that's not that's not the one. Oh, dang it. But I think Carrie's whole message fits perfect within one of the main themes of our podcast. For people who are struggling with like honestly none of us are pr- probably have a situation her situation's unique but all of us are going through something in various uh, degrees yes undoubtedly at different various times some people would call it a season <laughs> but i'm just in a season right now like our 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 theme always keep your stick on the ice wow there you go like you got to keep going you got it like her message of overcoming is flat out inspiring. 
she kept her stick on the ice. Absolutely. Like to be able to forgive somebody like that. I mean, yeah, it takes a work from the Holy Spirit. You got to keep your stick on the ice. You got to, you got to keep it. You got to stay in the game. Mm-hmm. You got to keep going. Absolutely. One of the things that this interview really impacted on me as I was reflecting on it today, actually, um, this is, this is another story where I feel like the church, a church full of imperfect people kind of got it right. And when Carrie finally was able to tell her church that this is something that she's going through, and this is something that's a part of her life, they helped her as opposed to shunning her because they could have very well done the same, like, you know, oh, you're, you're the daughter of the BTK killer. Like, how do we know that it doesn't run in the family? Mm. So when they helped her find like a trauma counselor, that was one of the things that really was just like, yes, this is something. And when, and I've said this before on the podcast, whenever Jason, Jason, I bash on the church sometimes. They're an easy target. They're an easy target for sure. But whenever the church gets it right, yeah. When imperfect people do the right thing, it's kind of like, okay, let's let's lift that up a little bit and say, yes, this is a good thing. This more of this needs to happen. Go, do more. Yeah, especially when it comes to mental illness or depression or something because usually the the answer is, well, you, you probably just need to pray more. Yeah. You, you know, maybe something's awry in your life and you you just need to get right with God and get back to Jesus. Everything will be okay. And no. So the advice of going to a trauma counselor, to me, that's like, holy crap, you need some, you need some real help. Like, yeah. And uh, that's not to degrade Jesus or say Jesus isn't real help, but no, no, no. sometimes you need to talk to a professional. Yeah. Like you have to. So yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful for that part, part of her story because it, it just goes to show that, yes, the church is a flawed system. Because it's made up of flawed human beings, but yes, it sometimes we didn't gets even it get right. into the church she grew up in. If you if you pick up her book, like her dad was president of that church, and did some horrible things in there. Yeah, in that church, awful things. I'm sure you can look them up. You can read about them. But the way that church stepped up and provided for her mother and her family uh, while her dad was in jail. And well, I mean, he's still there in mm-hmm. prison, but the church stepped up in a big way. And I think that's worth noting too. Absolutely. So Jason, we just completed an interview with, with an amazing human being, mm-hmm. Carrie Rawson. Like I'm just incredibly brave. Yes, absolutely. And she, she's been to the same craft beer places I've been to too. So that's a plus. <laughs> that is a plus. I, I, I think feel, I cut all those out of the interview. If you, I mean, if you support us on Patreon, you get to hear the full interview. It's an additional 20, 30 minutes of pure Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it could almost be a pure Michigan commercial. It we just need be. Tim Allen to narrate it. But i she's such a nice person to talk to. And like, I think I told you after the interview, when we got done recording, I'm like, man, I hope I run into her up in Traverse City so we could just see her face to face and like give her a hug and just say, hey, how's it going? Yeah. How's it going, eh? Yeah, maybe, yeah, because we're pretty much we're a Uber. this close to Canada. Sorry. This close. So, Jason, uh, you and I, we're going to be wrapping it up here. And this might be one of the last interviews that we do in our old format. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of crazy to think about. Isn't it? It's, it's been a journey. 
Yeah. It's been quite the ride. Not to say we won't release stuff, but you and I are working on something for the future. Absolutely, we are. So as we go into this new endeavor, this new thing, this grand adventure, mm-hmm. what do you want to remind us? When, Because you know it's going to be tough sometimes. The road's yeah. going to be rocky. We're going to want to quit here and there. We're going to mm. get mad at each other. We're going to disagree. Yeah. We're going to disagree on what the intro music should be mm. or what sound effects we should use. Yeah. What do you want to say to help keep us continue to go on this mission? Well, Pastor Al. <laughs> yeah, PJ. <laughs> <sighs> Always keep your stick on the ice. <laughs>